Hi, my name is Chris Little, and I am the host of The Lifestyle Chase. In 2018, I started this show to have meaningful conversations. I've interviewed over a hundred different people, both in and out of the fitness industry. This podcast is something I'm incredibly proud of. Welcome to season four. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to the Lifestyle Chase. I have brought back an original gangster guest. His name is Shane Fennessy. Um, he his show is actually the first time I've ever been on a podcast. So if you check out City of Champions, it's essentially an Edmonton-based podcast. But I've seen how you've branched out and you've really like added to the the guest list and. There's a lot of your story that I think people who like podcasts should dig into. So I encourage everybody listening to check out that podcast. Check out what Shane's up to. Check out past appearances on the Lifestyle Chase. This is your third guest appearance on the show. Um, but with that out of the way, how are you today? I'm doing good, Chris. It's been uh, it's been a hectic uh, basically year so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been lots going on, but uh, it's it's... I wrote, so I do a, a journal every day and you put what you're grateful for. And, and I, I, I wrote for a week straight. I'm like, this is the most exciting time of my life. So that's how I'm doing. I love that. I mean, let's, let's kind of encapsulate what that looks like for you. Cause I have an idea, but for the, the listeners and viewers, they're going to be kind of in the dark. So let's kind of like illustrate that for them. I'll give you the hit list of like what the last kind of six months has been like. So as a documentary film producer, um, we were working on a ton of projects. We've got two projects in post-production. We're shooting two projects currently, and we're in pre-production slash development on one. So we've got kind of five going concurrently. Um, and in addition to those five films, we've also got an NFT collection that just launched this weekend. Love it. Um, when it comes to NFTs, because that was something I wanted to dig into further, but now was a great icebreaker. So, like, let's say I am sixty-five years old, and you're explaining to me what an NFT is. Let's let's hear it. Okay, this is always fun. The like uh, the holiday meal around the table with your family conversation. Yeah. Um, to a sixty-five-year-old, I'd say an, an NFT is it's a digital asset that is verified on the blockchain, meaning it can't be faked, it can't be forged. So you can prove that you own it. Um, and it can be anything from a picture of a monkey to a video to um, you're now seeing applications where houses are actually getting entered on the blockchain and sold as NFTs. Um, I really think like everyday things such as post-secondary diplomas and certificates will be used on the blockchain because as it stands now, like you get a post-secondary degree, like apart from people who actually put it up on their wall behind them, like there's no verifiable way for an employer other than calling the university. But we know recruiters and HR don't have the time to do that. So you're kind of looking at someone's resume being like, okay, does it check out? Okay, I take them for granted that they've got their, their degree. Um, so things like that. Uh, things like driver's license, like in this day and age where I don't have to bring my wallet with me except for my driver's license. I think it's nuts. Like we have our credit cards, our debit cards, our car insurance, everything's on our phone. I think it's nuts that we don't have a driver's license that's also on our phone. So in order to secure that and make it unforgeable, you want to make that an entry on the blockchain, a la an NFT, which stands for non-fungible token, mean, meaning that, of course, it's not exchangeable one for one uh, with something else. So like a dollar bill or a, you know, a loony or something, those are fungible items. doesn't matter which one you have, they're worth the exact same. But non-fungible means there's not an equal value. Um, so that's sort of like the 30,000 foot view of NFTs. Um, but again, I say like, I say it's not so much what it is, it what enables you to do. So there's like the value of something and the utility. So with an NFT, um, you know, owning a board Ape Yacht Club, yeah, the, the art is pretty cool, but it's not about that ape. It's about the inclusion in the community of other ape owners, which which has entertainers, athletes, celebrities in it. It's that exclusivity um, of being a part of that group, which makes the value of them so astronomically high. Mm -hmm. 
when you first kind of got intrigued by the whole premise of NFTs, like what first sparked that for you? So for two years, I've been following crypto pretty closely. And, and when COVID hit, I was, you know, in a, in a situation where I had some liquid assets, which was nice because everything crashed. So I was able to jump in. And so I started just paying attention to what was happening, mostly with the big ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like uh, I didn't get sucked into the, the altcoin mania, the Dogecoin and the Shiba Inu coin stuff. Um, but just like starting to completely like hoover up information on like what they were and, and what they enable people to do and, and really kind of got filled with conviction on where they're going long term as stores of value, as transactable contracts and, and mechanisms online. Um, and so, yeah, I just started putting a little bit more money into that. And of course, once you're in, into that, then it's not that far a leap to get into the NFT side of things. So some of, you know, the big people I follow, like Gary Vee, he had been paying attention for, for a year before he ever s started doing his own project. And so I watched that progression of him learning. And so I learned by, by proxy from, uh, from watching him and listening to him. And so, uh, it was October last year where a friend of ours who was one of the early founders in probably the biggest NFT company around right now, uh, Artifact, uh, he reached out to us and he said, Hey, like we're doing a drop in November. Like, I know you guys don't have any yet, but like, and it's going to cost some money, but you want to get into this one. Like this is one you're going to want cause it's going to blow up. And so we bought what was called a clone X from artifact, um, and held onto it for like a week and a half and then flipped it for, for a three X profit. Um, and so I took that money and then started reinvesting into other communities. Cause it's a, it's a big step to get into like nfts right like if you're just putting cash into the system it seems like a lot but once you start dealing with ethereum which today the value of one ethereum is roughly four thousand canadian uh that's like a that's a that's a lot of chunk of change to put in that most people don't have so once i started thinking in terms of ethereum because i had some then it became easy and and it's easier to make money when you have money so, so i started seeding in a few different projects and like stocks right 80 percent of your stocks aren't going to succeed but if you hit big on 20% or even 10%, those gains can outpace what you've lost in the other ones. So it's kind of similar in the NFT space. And as I paid attention just from a personal stake in that space, I started you know, contemplating what I liked about projects, what I didn't like, and, um, and thinking like, where could the film business uh, utilize this technology? Where could we go with it? So the idea of decentralized financing, decentralized ownership, even like, decentralized um uh decentralized like operating for a business there's things called DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations where there's a pool of money because people have bought in but the whole community has voting rights for certain elements of what that DAO is going to do so it just seemed like really cool really like empowering technology um and so that led me down a rabbit hole basically of, of thinking how can we incorporate this into scorgy productions in the film world mm -hmm. i mean it's important for people to understand like what is coming, what is, what is out there and just uh, be open-minded to the changes that come with the world. Like it's at some point internet wouldn't have been a thing that people would have thought was possible. And then just how it's evolved and become almost like overwhelming with the sense of like people's days are almost controlled by their interactions on social media. Whereas before it was like social media was just a small piece of our life. Now it is a lot of people's lives. Like, I mean, like I generate a, a good amount of income through work on social media. So I, I can say firsthand how much of a, a change has transpired. But uh, for people that are listening and are still not quite clear as to like your role in the fitness industry, let, or not fitness industry, I'm so used to saying that, film industry. Um, let's kind of unpack that. Like, I want you to give your list of films you've worked on and projects and stuff. So people can kind of understand like what you're bringing to the table here. Yeah. So we do, we do feature documentaries. Um, I, I work with a partner, Adam Scorgi. He'd been doing it for about 10 years before I met him. Um, and in his work before we met, he had done really big like cult classic documentaries his first one is called the union it was on the marijuana industry in bc and then he did a follow-up to that called the culture high where it was about sort of the geopolitical ramifications and legalization of marijuana 
Um, and those were huge. Those actually got him invited to Parliament Hill in Canada to give a uh, bipartisan presentation to Parliament. Um, so he had done some big topic-based documentaries on like, you know, overarching topics. But when I met him, our first project we did was called Making Coco, the Grant Fear story about Oilers five-time Stanley Cup winning uh, goalie Grant Fear, first black player ever to make it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, so that was our first kind of um, our project together. And and from there, we just kind of hit a niche of like biographical docs. So we went Grant Fuhr, then we did Donovan Bailey, then we did Connor McDavid. Uh, we just released Michael Bisbing doc. He's a, a two-time UFC middleweight champion. He's the first British champion in the UFC. Um, we're currently doing Jordan Tutu's documentary, first Enoch player to make it to the NHL. Uh, we're currently doing Phil Heath's documentary. He is a seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilding champion. So a little connection to the fitness crew. Um, and then we're also working on Dolph Lundgren's feature doc. So he is a, uh, most people remember him from Rocky Four, where he played the big Russian, Ivan Drago. Um, oh, and of course, Danny Trejo, classic Mexican-American actor who's in every movie ever made. He uh, also known as Machete uh, for people who have seen that one. But yeah, so we've just kind of found this cool niche of like sport and entertainment biographical docs, I would call it. Um, and we've got some other really exciting ones that we're pitching right now. So yeah, it's just, you know, we find it interesting because that's what we were fans of sports and movies. So we're not, I, I wouldn't say we painted ourselves into a corner and we'd certainly tackle any topic. Um, but it's just, these projects just keep coming up for us and, and they're, they're viable, they're commercially successful. And, and we just geek out all the time about what we do. That's awesome. And I mean, like, Something that's been helpful for me about having you in my circle of friendships is that sometimes you're able to do a project that I would never have access to, like being able to work with someone like Jordan Tutu. That's someone I would love to interview on the podcast, but it's just like some people only have so much time. They can't just say yes to every single person that wants to interview them. So then through extension, I get to see his story and, and hear it showcased through someone who... I know and trust like when you're able to tell his story or help him tell his story, then I'm like, all right, like this is kind of like killing two birds with one stone. Like I get to support Shane and I get to learn about Jordan too, too. So I think that's kind of the, the fun and exciting thing about like, uh, networking and staying connected and having people back to, to hear about like where they're at in their journey. Um, one thing that I kind of, uh, I'm curious about, cause I always know that you're always doing stuff, but like, what is like the, the lay of the land of your 12 months in the year? Like, how does that like unfold for you? It's, it's so different year to year and month to month. Like, so, you know, January, we had a big trip to Europe where we were doing some stuff with Dolph in Sweden. Um, and then we we're down in LA. That's where we got a chance to interview Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger uh i like i'd honestly have to look back at my calendar february when did we go to nashville no nashville was march and we went to uh we went to miami in march as well to film uh an event called the bare knuckle fighting championship so that's a potential doc that might be on the uh horizon for us this cool league that's kind of blown up in the last few years um and then some months are slower like some months we're just like in the office doing financing applications tax credit applications like the boring stuff like i'd say that like the job is 90 percent boring right but there's those fun like flashes in the pan where you get to do like you know go on the road and go to these cool places so it, it's always different but you're always making use of your time one way or another mm -hmm. i mean it's not too different from my my year like if if i have to unpack everything that i'm going through it in a year it just evolves and changes and transforms one thing that is constant from my point of view is just like despite the fact that like you're never left bored, there is going to be that line between like just being overwhelmed or exhausted and being like fulfilled and just like kind of balanced out. Like what does that line look like for you? Yeah, I've been flirting with that line actually the last few months because it's been nuts. I think it's really important for people to be aware of their own bandwidth. Um, I thrive on momentum. Like I thrive on like one thing leads into the next because I just find it's way easier to keep going than like stopping and starting. Um, but anytime I come home from a trip, number one, like I'm always pumped to come home. Like not only do I love the city of Edmonton, but I've got a fantastic fiance and, um, it's just always exciting to come back to that life, even no matter where we've been in the world. Um, 
and then I have my routine. Like when I'm home, I like to, you know, get up early, have coffee, work for a couple hours, and then I go get a workout in in the building and come back, have a big breakfast at noon, and then work for the next five or six hours till Kim gets home. And and um, so I'm a, I'm a creature of habit in that sense. But having those interspersed uh, moments of chaos when you're on the road, I actually embellish, I, I, I relish those because number one, part of my job is planning those moments of chaos. And so it's kind of like challenge. It's like, it's going to be chaotic no matter what, but if I can make it smooth, if I can, if I can consider all the things and plan out the contingencies, that's exciting. Even though to other people, it might seem chaotic. So then you come home back to your routine, you reset, you plan for the next one. So I really like that, that, um, kind of, uh, intersperse. It's like hit, right? High intensity training. It's, it's, um, you know, you, you, you go back to a resting rate, you're still keeping the heart rate up, you're still doing things, and then you go back to the sprint. So that's, that's how I think of it. Mm-hmm. Well, something that I admire about how you go into things is your open-mindedness to new opportunities and new concepts and new ideas, which has probably led to many of the different things that you've taken on in the last few years. But like, where what is the basis to which you have that mindset or approach? It's a good question. Probably just assume, just consuming content of, of people who think like that. I mean, you know, <clears throat> where our lives are, are more and more digital every year. Um, and so, you know, the old saying is you are, you know, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. But I mean, if you work from home and, and you're not, you know, going out on the weekends or doing a ton of social stuff, um, then it's probably more like you are the average of the five people you consume the most of their content. Um, so just finding people that I like what they do and like how they operate. Um, and, and so I think that helped me change my mindset. Like I went through a big pivotal change when I was about 26 or 27, I was in my second career. I was doing operations and logistics for a transportation company. Great job, great career trajectory, you know, like the whole on track to be a VP kind of thing. But I just looked at my bosses and, you know, their life was, was very comfortable, but it just didn't speak to me. I just, I I knew I didn't want that. So I had to kind of do a hard reset. I had to completely change up how I'd been living my life. Um, so, you know, stopped going out, stopped drinking for a long time and started reading. Like I just started consuming books, like a book a week kind of thing and listening to a ton of podcasts, you know, replaced all that downtime when you're driving or, or walking somewhere where you just listen to music, I replace that with podcasts. So just constantly stimulating the brain and, and trying to find new ideas and try to try to find new ways of thinking too. And I think it's, it's also good not to get caught in the echo chamber of just the same stuff all the time. So what I do is find a few key podcasts I like, and then when they have a good guest, go read that guest book or go read that or listen to that guest podcast, because you want to challenge your ways of thinking. Like, so I've read books that are completely on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of issues that I believe in. Um, and sometimes I, I get brought more to center and sometimes I'm like, ha, this is why I feel like way Cause I think they're still full of shit, but, mm. um, yeah, so it's, it's just constantly consuming, um, information. That's, that's the number one thing. And I mean, that is transferable to anybody who's listening, whether they're a business owner in the fitness industry, not in the fitness industry. Like, I mean, when it comes to the audience of this podcast, A, I'm always kind of kept guessing because it kind of changes throughout the year. And then B, um, like you never really know exactly who listens to your show until they reach out to you directly. Yeah. Like that, that's actually one thing that's like a special connection that we have is that I listened to your show and then I reached out to you directly. And I, I think like your reaction to that was so genuine in the, in the sense that you were so appreciative of me kind of like reaching out and be like, Hey, I'm actually listening to it right now. I like this, this is a good show sort of thing. And I've throughout the pandemic, I actually listened to City of Champions quite a bit because it was just a familiar. It was like having a friend in my living room as I was painting and doing oh, all the projects. You. I appreciate that. And what I, I liked about that was just you had so many different guests. And so it kept me on my toes because I was like, well, there's no like clear theme. It's, I mean, like most of these people are connected to or from or in Edmonton. But aside from that, it could be like a politician one day and then it could be a bar owner another and it just always kept me on my toes. Um, But 
I was doing that amidst a time of uncertainty when I wasn't quite clear on what the future held or what I had like control of. I didn't know what, what my life was going to look like in the next few years for yourself. Uh, when is the last time you can think of when you felt like that level of uncertainty, if you can think of a time? Yeah. Well, I want to say three things first before I jump into that question. Number one, I want to say how impressed that with how far you've come uh, I am. Like, look at you. You got the full pro setup. You got the mic, the, the um, not the spit guard, but the wind guard on it, the headphones. So I remember early days, Chris podcast, uh, the lifestyle chase, and you've come a long way. And I'm just super impressed that you've kept it up this long. And, and it, you know, it, it takes, um, it takes discipline to do anything for as long as you've done. Uh, the second thing I want to say, it's probably good that you don't know who listens to your podcast. You can't break down the demographics because then you're not catering to your audience. You're doing mm-hmm. what, what comes natural and you're doing what, what you really love and appreciate. Um, and I think that's the best way to find your audience or rather your audience to find you. Because if you're constantly trying to do things that other people want you to do, like you're going to lose yourself. Um, I forget the third point I had, but I'm sure it'll come back. Um, but to your question, the last time I felt that level of uncertainty, I would say probably, probably the pandemic. Um, you know, we had a couple projects put on pause because of the travel restrictions. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone through a few life changes, changed where I moved, um, you know, changed who I was spending time with. Um, and I remember that. I remember just kind of what did I do? I just, I just read, I just started reading again, right? Like it was a downtime. And I just actually, one of the books I read was stillness is the key by Ryan holiday, which is like a really important, um, uh, topic of just like, sometimes it's okay not to be doing something. Sometimes we need that for our brain. We need, cause problems become more clear when, when we're not cluttered, we don't have too many inputs. Um, and then I read, you know, a bunch of biographies, Winston Churchill, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Michael Bisping, cause he just released his book. And so just being okay with like knowing everyone else in the world is going through something similar right now. And it's okay to, to take a pause here and, and just relax. I don't know what's going to come. Like I know the projects we have lined up will go eventually. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I didn't know how, how long it would take to get the next project. Cause you always want to have the next couple lined up that way. You're not, you don't run out of runway. So that was kind of the last time I felt that level of uncertainty. It's kind of cool because that'll time out well with uh, the last time you were on the show. What I like to kind of highlight for people who are listening is go back to the old episode to kind of see where that person was at because more than likely a person that's seeking out an episode is going to find a piece that they relate to. And then just to hear like where the journey goes in the years that pass um, can be motivated. Be accountable. Yeah. The audience, you know, hey, this guy's full of shit. He was acting all confident the last time he was on. And now he just said that he, he was uncertain. Right. It's, I remember, I, I remember the third thing now that I wanted to say is too, like, I think what was great about the city of champions podcast for me was getting to talk to so many people in different, in different worlds. Right. Like that was, that kept my brain active. That kept things like you're always forced to kind of look at look at life from a different perspective of, of, you know, whether it's an actor, an athlete, a politician, a, an artist, whatever it is. So that, that to me was, was really fulfilling getting to do that. And I'd like, I'll say also, so I'm at 99 episodes. I fudged episode 99 a little. I just released a live podcast that we did in Manchester before one of our premieres with the director and my producing partner. Um, but number a hundred is hanging out there in the air. So I'm going to have a repeat guest from mine actually interview me for episode hundred. So we're, I told him he's got to send me an outline before we do that, but that'll be in the hopper for the next few months. That's amazing. I love when uh, people do that. Cause it's just like, it's such a new perspective of who that person is. And I know I've definitely done it myself. I've had a few guests like turn the table and interview me and it's like not only is it a good piece of reflection for you as like the guest on your own show um it's an opportunity to kind of empower somebody else to perhaps like go off on a venture of their own or perhaps they're already like doing the thing and they get one more rep in the tank um a few things that i wanted to highlight we we talked about like the uh the ascension of the lifestyle chase podcast a little side note so uh Let's see. I guess off screen, the soundboard that I have actually comes from Dean Guido yeah. and the headphones. 
So it's just kind of <laughs> cool how like our, our mutual friend Dean um, has helped empower and elevate the lifestyle of Chase just through some, some bro hookups and, and stuff like that. And then uh, this microphone, I actually owned this microphone when we first connected and I just wasn't using it for anything. I thought I might like put some music together, use it for that. And then just once I got the handy dandy soundboard, then I integrated it into this and just the quality uh, way, way better. I mean, like it's what I found was when I was using the previous microphone, you couldn't get quite as like dialed in with like vocal quality. And then mm -hmm. using this one, as long as my face is close to the mic, um, it's a pretty, you gotta nuzzle, nuzzle up to that thing. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Like how if, do you find the headphones? Like I never, I tried to use headphones a couple of times. I hated hearing my own voice in my ears. It, it just, it threw me off. Uh, the setup that I have isn't, it's not delayed. So it doesn't throw me off too much. It's just kind of like adding some bass to my voice. Um, so I find it pretty solid and it just helps me to stay attentive to the guests, sort of like being more immersed into the experience rather than like being able to sort of like drift off as they're like telling me something important. I'm in your head. I'm getting in there. Yeah, Deep. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so then the other piece that I wanted to, to, uh, dig into a little bit was, You've had a lot of conversations, a lot of interviews beyond the City of Champions podcast. Has there been a question that you've posed on someone where their answer has just like uh, left you deer in the headlights, just like not expecting to hear what you heard? Yeah, 100%. And I, I won't even remember exactly how the answer was framed. So um, every doc is different. Every director that we work with works a little differently. So, um, Brett Harvey is, uh, one of the OG directors with score G productions. He, he did the union. He did the culture high. He did ice guardians. Uh, he did inmate number one, the rise of Danny Trejo, and he's currently doing, um, Phil Heath's documentary. So Brett also works as the cinematographer, meaning that, uh, he actually gets someone else to sit in, uh, to do the interview with his questions and be the eye line for the uh, for the interviewee. So I I sat in and we were doing an interview with Phil Heath and Phil is a monster of a man. He walks around at like 240, 250, maybe more, maybe 260. Um, his muscles have muscles. And so I sat in the chair and we were, we were getting deep about, cause he lost, he lost one year and then he took a year off for injury. And he's a very intense guy. So I asked him a question to do with like what his mindset was like going into this upcoming Olympia that we were following him for. And he's also a very intellectual uh, person and a very uh, good speaker. So asked him a question about his mindset going in and he, his answer was like eight minutes long and he got so intense and he was raging and his eyes got red and I've never experienced this before or since. I was just locked in eye to eye with him sitting there trying not to move because you don't want to distract from the emotion. And I had pins and needles start from the, my extremities and they started coming like up to the center of my body. And my vision literally narrowed in, like I could see black coming in and I was just like laser focused on him. I imagine like, that's what it's like for top tier athletes when they're about to take the game winning penalty shot or something like that. You know, it was just this like hyper focused, completely almost out of body experience. Um, and so to me, that, that just blew me away. I, I can't remember the, the diatribe he went on, but um, to be able to connect with people at that level, sitting in the chair, even just being in the room or listening on the headphones in the other room, like it's a very cool pl place to be in because people open up once they trust you and they share these things that we all think, but very few people get the opportunity to say or reflect back on. Mm -hmm. uh, so to me, that's, it's one of the coolest parts of the job is getting to sit in on those interviews and, and hear these very emotional and, and taxing stories from them. Like we all, after a big interview, like the whole crew is just done. Like we're all like putting the gear away and we're all kind of like zombies. And then we get back in the car and someone cracks a joke and then we kind of get energized again. And we're like, remember when he said this and remember when he went off on this tangent, I can't believe he mentioned that. That's awesome. So that, um, yeah, that, that's probably the, the, the answer that blew me away the most out of any of them. Well, it's it's very relatable because I've I've interviewed quite a volume of people. Like I don't think I'm anywhere near the amount of people that you would have interviewed at this point. But just that experience of getting that genuine connection with somebody and like I like to contextualize this for if there's a trainer listening, 
the ability to connect with people is extremely valuable in the fitness industry, especially when it comes to remote training. Cause like if your connections are all like verbal connections, like there's no like in-person interaction, like the better you are to get a person's trust and to figure out different uh, vocal cues and to figure out different things to pick up on with their emotion and with how passionate they are about things. Like that's how you get a person from like, where they want to be like where they are to where they want to be, I guess. And it's just, it is such an experience that like, it's hard to describe. So I was impressed with how you could, because it's like, I I have interviewed people where they're on the verge of tears. And some people, I think I've made people cry on the podcast twice at this point. Yeah. It's (laughs) It's kind of a weird sick satisfaction when you make someone cry. Cause you're like, this is good. Like it's good to show emotion. It's good to let that stuff out. And you know, it's, you can't skip a step when it comes to emotional healing. Like you, when you, when you have to heal, like you got to go through all those feelings. You gotta, you gotta experience them. Like I always use the analogy of like, you have a really bad breakup. Like some people's first instinct is to like go out and numb the pain and, you know, party and hook up or whatever it is. But like, really the most beneficial thing to do is actually like sit home and reflect and kind of be sad about it because then you just get it out of your system. And then you can be like, at some point you got to snap out of it. Of course you can't be self-indulgent, but at a certain point, like, okay, I did it. I felt the feelings. I healed. Now what? Let's move on. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I can attest to that. Like if you try to numb the feeling, it's going to come up at some point. So you might as well just lean into the emotion that comes with anything, whether it be, like an obstacle in the career or an obstacle in a relationship, just something that kind of sets you back and humbles you. Um, Those emotions are meant to be felt and it's easier to navigate to that next step if you feel them and just own it. Like if you got to cry, you cry. If you got to be mad, you be mad, but just like get it out of your system and move on to the next step for sure. Yeah. If you got to go angry dance in a forest, you go angry dance in a forest. That's why forests are there like for angry dancing. Um, So, one thing that I like to showcase for people, because sometimes we wonder like how things transpire, how things come to be. I know that uh, a lot of how you and I first connected was one piece of the puzzle was that we connected through me listening to your show and letting you know that I listen. And then another piece of the puzzle was you came to L2 Fitness and you were working with Dean. And so we both got to kind of shoot the shit before you got started on your session with him. And then at some point you needed a ride either to the airport or from the airport. And I came in through clutch for you and we had a good visit. And then that kind of, uh, it gave me the opportunity, uh, to then be asked to be on your podcast. Like it was probably a combination of me like hinting at it and a combination of you appeasing my, my request. But I really appreciated that opportunity because that was the first time I had ever gotten the chance to be on a podcast. A lot of people listening to a podcast are like, how can I be on a podcast? And it it comes down to more than just like blanket asking every host that you know to be on the show. Like you, you kind of have to listen to their show too. And you have to have some investment into who the host is and what they do and have an interest in their stuff. Because just so often as a podcast host, I'll get like somebody adds me as a friend and then they send me a message and like, well, can I be on your podcast? I'm like, do you know like what I do or anything about me? Like, do you know what the podcast is about or what kind of guests I have? Like, well, I think my story is really powerful. I'm like, okay. But like a lot of people's stories are powerful. Like if we're walking and talking and breathing and doing big things, like everybody's story is powerful. What has your experience been with that as a host and just as someone who's doing productions and and all these things? Well, it's funny. It's a catch 22, right? The people that should be on your podcast don't need to ask, like you'll ask them and the people that don't necessarily have a place on your podcast, like you're not going to ask them. Right. And so it's almost like, yeah, if, if, if you should be on my podcast, I will ask you to be on my podcast. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's good though, to, to have been a guest on, um, before you start your own, I don't think I had been on any podcasts or done any interviews when I started mine, but you know, it's good to know both sides of the equation. It's good to know what the guest is feeling like, um, you know, as a host, you, you know what you do and, and you, um, you, you know what you expect and what you're hoping to get from the guest. But like, you almost forget, like, 
you have to build a little trust with the person first, right? Like you, they're just not going to spill their guts to you. You have to, you have to give them a reason um, and a goal too. Like I remember my episode with Kaler, like Kaler was kind of out of the public eye um, way back in the day and he had shut down TNP fitness. And I said, Hey man, I like, people are asking like, what happened to you? Like, I think it'd be a really cool platform for you to like, come on and give your side of the story. And yeah, like that was one of, I think still to this day might be my most downloaded episode uh, years later. And then he went off and started his own podcast, which has been doing really well. And it's got a huge social media following. Um, so I thought that was cool. All it took was someone to show interest without judgment. Um, and that's really what we're doing too. Like when we do interviews or even back in the podcast, it's, it's interest without judgment. Um, and you're, you're almost, you're almost as a host being a, like just a vehicle for, for the audience, just to open up the platform. And it's your job to direct the questions in a way that, that gets the best out of your guest, right? Like, you're not trying to gotcha anyone. You're not trying to catch them in a, a lie or whatever. It's, you know, you want to challenge them, of course, but you want to challenge them so they can rise to the, the occasion. Mm-hmm. So throughout this episode so far, we've kind of gone over some of your wins in the past few years and the accomplishments and the projects and stuff like that. Are you someone who kind of like has a plan in mind for the next like few years, like some big, big goals that you have for yourself? Well, two big goals we had were to uh, impress the hell out of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and uh, when we interviewed them and, and then have them see Dolph Stock at some point later this year, early next year, and then be like, shit, these guys are good. I want them to do my doc. Unfortunately, both those guys currently have in production on their own documentary. Arnold's doing like a five-part Netflix series and Stallone's doing something. Um, so, you know, there's the next doc subjects, but... You know, through my through the whole filmmaking thing, I I felt I've enjoyed it, and I, I I've gotten a lot of a lot of meaning out of it. It's been rewarding, but I've always kind of been left with this hole of like I'm not doing anything, like I'm not creating anything. I'm just kind of retelling other people's story, and I guess that's an extension of the podcast days as well. Um, I was left with this hole of like you know I'd like to create something. I want to build something of my own. And so that kind of, that was one of the big um, motivating factors for this NFT side of things, because what we're doing with the Creative Hustler Key is it's a early supporter community token to the Scorgy Productions uh, community. And we are offering people a chance to like get in early to be, you know, completely taken behind the scenes and everything we do. So we're talking like, you know, live stream from sets, community calls with our talent, we want to open up like other panels with filmmakers, whether they're other producers or directors or, you know, uh, camera ops or sound people. Like we, we want to like raise the level of knowledge of the film world and offer people who, who maybe haven't got the breaks in the film world to be part of a community where like, if you own a creative hustler key, you'll, you know, you've got full access to us. We can make connections. We'll provide you with budget templates. We'll, we'll help show you like where to go for the grants and, and, and how to do the tax credit stuff. So that's phase one is like starting this like creative hustler community around our films and our work. Phase two is tapping into our, our past and present documentary stars of like doing collections that are true to them um, while also building up the space. It's funny, like podcasting five or six years ago was probably something, you know, maybe 50% of people had heard of. They kind of knew it was happening and now it's ubiquitous, right? Like everyone knows what a podcast is. Most people listen to podcasts or audiobooks more than they actually read. Um, and so I think NFTs and that whole world are going that way. I think like it's the same as the early days of the internet companies that were resistant to get on board. They fell way behind not having a website or not having an email list. Same thing with social media, right? Like Adam tells the story when he did the union back in 2007, like he started a Facebook page and he had a, over a million followers back in like 07, 08. And distributors would laugh at him and be like, oh, that's cute. You've got a, a Facebook page. Like, what's that good for? And then over the next 10 years, it, it went on to become the most powerful tool to leverage an audience uh, you could possibly have. Adam did uh, Kickstarter back in 2012 or 2013, where he raised a quarter of a million dollars. That was before crowdfunding was even a term. Like, no one even knew what crowdfunding was. And in fact, you couldn't even do Kickstarter in Canada. He had a green card in the US, so he was able to tap it in that way. Um, so we're always looking for ways to innovate. So for us, the ultimate goal is to get away from being beholden to the legacy media system. 
the way it works in our films right now, if we want to finance a doc, we have to get a broadcaster on board. And there's only a few of them in Canada. There's Rogers, CBC, Bell, uh, Super Channel, TELUS. Um, and so you have to convince one of them to give you a license because that triggers our financing down the line. That gives us a CMF abil availability. It triggers our tax credits, all that stuff. So we've got to kind of cobble together the financing for these films. So. I mean, people ultimately are happiest in their life when they get to do what they feel like and when their work provides value and when they don't have a boss, like when they're not beholden to other people, they don't have to wait on other people's decisions or get approvals. So for us, we look at the power of Web3 and decentralization. So phase three of this whole NFT thing is bypassing the legacy media gatekeepers, being able to give ownership and, and investment back to the community and finance our docs through collections. Like the number I keep coming back to is like, say we do, say we did Arnold stock, right? We'd have to sell a thousand things at a thousand bucks. Boom. We've just raised a million dollar budget to do a doc, which is a pretty healthy documentary budget, unless you're Netflix, of course. Um, so for us, we, we see that as a very attainable goal and not only that, but like making the community feel invested in the work, like bringing them on from the very start, having them be the reason that it helped get made. And then potentially, and I don't, can't guarantee this, it would depend on the director we work, but involving them in like, in the actual creative of it. I mean, like, you know, here's cut A and cut B, like, we've got a 1000 members in this collection, like you guys vote and the best one, like the with the most votes, we'll, we'll go with that one, we'll go in that direction. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of the multi year plan for this. Um, because we just see like, you know, we're constantly beholden to Canadian broadcasters. Um, constantly shifting like socio-political mandates mm -hmm. uh, you know we brought projects to them where they're like oh you know we're not interested in sports or we're not interested in male athletes and and then the project goes to blow up around the world and they're like oh this would have been great for us we're like you know just because it doesn't find that niche that topic du jour that you're looking for like doesn't mean it's not going to be great and you see that with like the big award shows now the oscars right like there's some great films that win but oftentimes they're not the ones that everyone's seen, right? Like, like it's the constant dichotomy between critical and commercial success. And like, who's to say what's better? Like commercially successful projects, yes, they have bigger marketing budgets, but they're the ones that people want to go see. And not every film needs to be an art house masterpiece, right? I'm an absolute slave to anything that Marvel puts, puts out. Like I have Marvel's got like Marvel's got real estate on my credit card bill. It's like whatever it is, like I'll go see the next movie. I'll watch every show they put on on Disney Plus. Um, so, yeah, for us, we might not be tackling the most, um, you know, poignant topics of the day, but like we're tackling stuff that people are interested in and, and, and they get some nostalgia by whether it's a retired athlete or an older actor. It's things that people grew up with and they hold dear in their hearts. Like Scorgi is his biggest, biggest star growing up was Arnold. He'd watch anything with Arnold. So when we actually got to interview an Arnold, like Scorgi never gets flustered, but he was like a kid. He's like, this is so cool. Like Arnold was my idol growing up. Right. And a lot of people are like that. They grew up in the nineties with the action movies. Um, and so, you know, it, it's really meaningful to us to get to provide that inside look at these people's lives for, for the audience. Yeah. I mean that like, that would get me fired up. There's I have like a bucket list list of people who I would love to interview one day. And it's just like, sometimes it feels out of reach, but I, I tend to consider myself a fairly optimistic, fairly driven person. So I do think that I will pull it off one day, but I can only imagine the emotions that I'd feel when that day came and I was like, okay, I'm sitting across from them. Like I am actually here interviewing them and I'm going to poop my pants because this is exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you got to be careful of imposter syndrome, right? Like not getting caught up in the moment mm -hmm. and just be like, hey, there's a reason that I'm here. There, there's a reason that they allowed me to tell their story um, and just just executing on that. Yeah, well, like that's critically important. And that's what holds a lot of people back from doing their step one. Like uh, just the fact that people feel like, oh, well, I couldn't possibly get to the point where I'm at step 1000 because uh I'm not ready for that. Well, the only way you're going to get there is to put in step one, that first episode, that first mm -hmm. project, that first, et cetera. But uh, something that has me fairly intrigued that I want to expand on is just like we've talked about what NFTs are. We've talked about what you're doing. Uh, I think we alluded to your big project over the weekend, just kind of launching it and everything else. Um, 
How does it look like for someone listening or watching this episode as to how to get involved or um, invest in in what you're putting out in the into the universe? So for us, so I'll, I'll talk a, a little bit about the specifics before I go kind of more broad. So we're doing uh, an NFT on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, so there's 999 tokens. Um, they're beautifully crafted in 3D. There's three different worlds. Each world has a supply of 333. And they're just chocked full of Easter eggs and references to our past work. So it's it's like a card that spins. And as it spins, all this like 3D artwork and graphics and animated characters sort of pop up on each side. So I think we've got pretty much every film that Adam and myself have done in there and, and the ones back from Adam's earlier days as well. Um, so that's on the Ethereum blockchain, as most NFTs are. There, there's other smaller ones like Solana that are popping up. But to get involved in it, I'd say, like, find a project that resonates with you. And some are purely about the art. Like, some projects are just, like, you love the artist or you love the artwork and you just want to buy it and you want to own it. And you hope that it appreciates in value over time. Um, some projects are more, like membership based where owning it gives you access to certain tools online or certain uh events or, or what have you so we thought with ours like let's do the best of both worlds like let's have beautiful art that someone's like proud to show on their phone like look what i own look what i just bought um but also that gives a ton of utility because ultimately like that's going to give a project longevity is is constant access to whatever it is that the group is planning um and promising so for us, it's, it's all that utility I mentioned, you know, it's, it's things like um, behind the scenes, like live stream videos, voting on things, um, giveaways from the Scorgy vault. We have so much footage and behind the scenes photos like we've never shared. We could easily cut together like multiple scenes from each past documentary that never made the cut. So we've got all things like that in the works. Um, but we've also wanted to bring people closer to what we do because we think it's the best job in the world. Everyone always asks like, how can I get involved? Like, how can I come on a trip or how can I be on set? And like, you know, our budgets, our budgets are thin. Like we, we have just enough to get the job done. So we can't afford to bring people on, on set who don't have a job. But with the creative hustler key, what we're doing is we'll be doing regular giveaways for all these different experiences. So things like we'll fly you out to be a, a producer on set for the day, or, or you want to hold the boom pole, whatever you want to do. Um, things like we'll fly in for a sound mix session where you actually come and sit down in a studio with the director, the composer, the sound mixer, and you adjust the levels. Like it's amazing how much the music does in a film. Like you can watch a rough cut before the music's laid in. You're like, Oh, like, okay, it's coming together. And then as soon as the music's in, you're like, Oh, now I'm feeling it. It's emotional. Right. So that was, that's one of the coolest parts of filmmaking that not a lot of people know about. So we're going to do lots of giveaways for that kind of stuff. And then like, we'll do the red carpet premiere experiences too, where we'll fly out to the bigger premieres, whether it's in LA or Vancouver or Kelowna or wherever it is. Um, and give you the whole VIP access treatment. So, you know, you bring your suit or your dress and you get, you get all dolled up. You come on the red carpet. We'll go for dinner with the, the documentary star and the team and, go out, have a couple of drinks after whatever, like just to bring people apart, to be a part of those experiences, like literally experiences money can't buy. So our project isn't about the hype. It's not about what the floor price of the NFT is, or, you know, we think it'll go up in value over time because we're going to constantly deliver on all these promises. Um, but, you know, apart from ours, I'd say find, find a project you believe in, like, you know, take some of your savings and put it into Ethereum and, and it, you know, it's, it's overwhelming at first. I'll be the first person to admit that. Like you really need someone to help onboard you one, one-on-one. -on -one. You need someone to help you get a crypto exchange, send money there from your bank account, buy the crypto. Then you need to set up a MetaMask wallet. And then you need to send your crypto from your exchange to your MetaMask wallet. And these, all, these are all nerve wracking steps because it's your money, your hard earned money, and you've never done this before. And you're worried that like, once you hit submit, what if it doesn't get there? What if I entered a number in wrong? So it's, it's an interesting world because we're seeing people having full custody of their own assets. Um, and and it's, it's really empowering. And I think that's the way the world is going. As, as the world becomes more borderless um, and people don't want the government having control of their assets. We even saw that with the trucker protests in Canada where people's bank accounts were getting frozen. Like that was one of the biggest check marks in the pros column for cryptocurrency because it's like, it's fully decentralized and you're the only one that has the keys to that. They can't, they can't freeze your assets just because they don't like your political stance. Um, so yeah. And of course, like 
things can go wrong. Everyone goes, well, what about the black market? Well, the black market's been operating on cash in the legacy media for hundreds of years. So like it's, you know, it, it, every technology can be used for good or for bad. But I think, I think the, the good on cryptocurrency is far, far like 99 to one going to outweigh the bad in the long term. And I think just to even encapsulate it all is just for people to know what is out there in the world is extremely empowering and informative. And it just equips people to kind of make decisions with their own autonomy, just their own understanding of what what exists. It's kind of like uh, being aware that uh, there are different forms of currency, just cash based. And then you expand on that and be aware of the different like electronic money storage modalities etc like i mean for myself i have a client who has done very very well with cryptocurrency and like he's in his early 30s and he is now buying his first home based off of his success through cryptocurrency so i have that to base my first-hand knowledge off of and it's very tangible i will be able to see his house and be like yes that is what it did for you okay i can understand and yeah. like to each their own like a person can walk away from any kind of uh, anecdote and make their own choices with their future but i like whenever i have conversations with my parents about this kind of stuff i'm like it's better to know than to be in the dark it's better to know like the direction that the world is going or at least know what the world has access to mm -hmm. than to be like, what is that? And just to feel completely lost. And it's not to say that people can't do mutual funds and all that other stuff, but it's just the world evolves. It always will. Yeah. You can't have your head in the sand. Like, again, I go back to like the internet companies being uh, resistant to that social media companies being resistant to that. Um, it's, you know, it, it is progress um, in civilization, like the underlying technology, no matter which way it's used is, is phenomenal. It's, it's probably, probably the most important invention, especially Bitcoin, just because of its simplicity, its elegance, and its finite supply as a store of value. And even with Bitcoin, for example, like, you're now able to extract what's called stranded energy. So you're able to create value out of um, uh, uh, say it's a, a hydro, a perfect place like in the interior BC that would be great for a hydroelectric dam, but there's no infrastructure to, to set up, you know, power grid stations and power lines because with energy, the biggest problem is storage and transmission, right? But now people are able to set up a Bitcoining mining operation where all you need is the equipment and an internet connection, and you're able to extract value. And the most prosperous places on the, on the face of the earth are the ones that produce the most value. So you're able to generate wealth and generate value, which rises the tides for all humanity. Um, nations that are more, uh, nations that, that produce more, that um, are more financially successful, also pollute less than third world countries. I know that's not the right term anymore, but for developing nations, right? Developing nations on average um, per capita pollute far more than wealthy developed nations. So it's in our best interest to raise the tides for all of civilization. So there's really remote places in Africa that are now setting up Bitcoin mining operations that are right, raising their communities out of poverty because of this access to, to this technology. Um, you know, ultimately, especially solar too, like you think there's so much wasted solar energy just because you can't store or transmit it from certain places. But if you set up a Bitcoin and mining operation, you're capturing that, that value, that energy um, from the universe and you're turning it into something tangible. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. People are hesitant. They're like, and they've heard the core stories. Oh, it's a Ponzi scheme. I mean, like really everything's a Ponzi scheme. If you look close enough, right? Like the U S treasury, like any central bank, it's all a Ponzi scheme. They can artificially inflate the currency. You know, you, you hear inflation now is, is rampant. And not only is, is inflation high, things are getting more expensive, but the value of the currency is at the same time debasing. So you're really getting double hit on that sense. Whereas like Bitcoin with its, with its controlled release of supply and finite cap at 21 million Bitcoin, like that, like based on supply and demand, that can not like, that will only go up in the long run. Sure. In the short term, it's super volatile. So I think people getting into it just need to just have proper expectations, right? Like your friend who bought a house because of NFTs, like that's great. There's a lot of success stories about that, but you know, also people getting greedy or, you know, um, just, just going in and, you know, making 
$10,000 when they expected to make a hundred thousand, like expectations are so important. But like, just personally, like, yeah, like I bought my, uh, my fiance's engagement ring because I sold an NFT. Like it's, you know, there is ways to succeed in it. People just need to be careful, set their expectations, set their limits, like anything, like investing in any traditional market. And if you want to talk about like manipulation, like you're telling me the stock market's not manipulated, like that is the most corrupt shit in the world. Um, you know, crypto is far less able to be manipulated like that, if at all, depending on the, on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like to make it relatable to anybody listening, just like thinking about it th from a fitness standpoint, you set your goal, you're not going to be able to achieve that goal overnight. Like it's going to be a long term sustainable commitment a process It's going to be habit based, it's going to be based on like having structure, and just the, the support of continually ongoing knowledge, like whether that be just getting a better understanding of like, macronutrients or a better understanding of exercise selection like it it's a process it's a whole category of just life this life journey like unless we're living completely like off the grid and self-sustaining we're going to need some form of currency mm -hmm. and it's going to be what it is it's going to be whatever um society kind of uh navigates towards because at some point we probably didn't have dollars for different countries we had just something else we had like goods that we traded or we bartered or all these different things yeah. and society just changes well think about think about the poor average citizen in russia right now right like someone who doesn't give a shit about putin's war in ukraine right they've just lost probably their entire net worth in the span of four or five months because the ruple has just absolutely fell off a cliff um all the biggest corporations in the world is, have ceased operations you're, if you're a Russian right now and you want to get out of Russia, like you're not getting out of there with any money. But had you had like a portion of that stored in Bitcoin, for example, with your private key, your USB key, one of these little guys right here. I mean, I don't know how hard it is to physically get out of Russia, but at least you could throw that in your pocket and you're, you're getting out with something. Um, again, it comes back to like not being beholden to other people. And in this case, it's the government and, and, and their political goals, their their wars, you know, um, their control over the people. Like it is decentralized control, it's ownership and putting power back into the individual's hands. Um, even think about artists, for example, right? Like, like there's no platform an artist can go on right now that they're not getting absolutely hosed on. You know, like iTunes and Spotify, they're taking like 70 to 90% of royalties from artists. Like now an artist can, you know, release an NFT to fund their upcoming drop and then they can drive profits from selling and distributing that drop back to the people who supported them at the start instead of having to sign like a ridiculous deal with a studio where where they're never going to make any money off it right and then you're locked into a contract mm -hmm. um so i know i know there's the platforms are being built right now where artists are going to keep a hundred percent of everything that's made off the back of their work and then there's like you know more traditional artists that like sell big ticket items like paintings or now it's digital paintings, you can program in royalties to that. So use the Picasso example, right? When he was alive and selling his paintings, like, you know, they were nothing special, but then fast forward a hundred years and they're selling for millions and millions of dollars. Like he never saw any of that profit. His family never saw any of that profit, but now you can program into the smart contract of the NFT royalties in perpetuity either back to you or when you pass away back to the estate. So your kids and your grandkids. Um, so it, it, it gives so much power back to artists and it gives options back to consumers as well. The great thing about NFTs too, is that, yeah, you, you can buy it if you want, but you can still enjoy the art because it's, it's online. You can go view it on the blockchain or on OpenSea or whatever platform you check out, right? Like if someone else buys a movie, you can't go, you can't watch their copy of the movie, but if someone buys a movie that's an NFT and it's on the blockchain, you can watch it, but, and you can also choose to buy it and support it. It's kind of that like pay what you will model, right? That has worked really well for a lot of people in different industries. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, to, to kind of keep us on track for time with our episode today, we're going to bring it to a full circle moment where I'm going to get you to give the audience sort of like a piece of advice for the day. Like we can kind of aim it more in the, the fitness direction because they're going to be like, Oh man, like we got hit with like NFT and all this other stuff, but just like something that has just made your life better on a day to day basis that you would encourage others to do. 
well, number one would be just the the discipline and and the commitment to to fitness one way or another, whether it's running or lifting or you know rec sports, whatever it is that for the longest longest time for as long as I can remember, basically back to high school, like that was always a consistent part of my life. So to have that through line, that um, you know that that um, the repetition, the discipline, and the uh, that regime. Um, I think that's super important for people. It's, it, it's something that you have full control on. There's a lot that we don't have control on in life, you know, what governments do and what, what our friends and family does. But the one thing we do have control on is, is our fitness. Um, we, can, we can choose how we work out, when we work out, um, you know, what we eat, uh, the nutrition side of it as well. So, uh, yeah, I just think that you know, in a world where it sometimes seems like it's spinning out of control, that gives you a little bit of control. And that's a firm base. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is it kind of occurred to me as we were talking is like, when things were slower, I had more time to have conversations with people or, you know, to ask a friend for a ride to the airport like you, and we had a great conversation, like, we get busy with our lives once we start getting successful. And that sort of falls away a little bit. So I think it's important to to not get so busy that you you forget to you know have real connections with people and and to express how you're feeling and ask people how they're feeling and and connect in that sense because I, I'm just sort of reflecting on that as we're talking like it's been a crazy six months and yeah like I, I remember those days during the pandemic and um, it was <laughs> it, it was nice to be able to make those connections you always felt good after it and now I realize that's a bit of a piece that's missing lately so I appreciate that. Uh, you putting the platform here in front of me that's made me kind of realize that while we're talking. Yeah, well, I mean, it's been great to reconnect. So with that being said, I'd love to thank you for being back on the show. So thanks for coming on again. Hey, my absolute pleasure, Chris. It's been cool to watch you and see how you've succeeded and glad to hear things are going well in your life and and that you've kept up uh, in addition to your fitness. Obviously, you've kept up this as well, which is, again, like the more things we have control over, the more things that we can execute discipline on i think just builds that foundation for for success and the other elements of our life couldn't have said it better myself